The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, Elder Buddy Abernathy continues his series on the book of Revelation. In this message, we move into the second chapter of the book of Revelation and look at the letter to the church at Ephesus and explore the question of what it means to leave your first love. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
read to you today from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And while you're turning to that, I want you to have this in mind, that although Jesus is addressing a first century church in a Greek culture by the name of Ephesus, I want you in your mind to substitute Zion Church. And if there be those here from other churches, you substitute the name of your church. Because the purpose of the Bible is to address God's people regardless of the generation in which they live. You know, there are scriptures in the Bible, for example, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it may seem as if a particular prophecy or rather teaching concerning the future was not fulfilled. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 15, Paul is teaching about the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. Now someone might say, well, obviously all of those people are now dead, and yet Paul referred to those that would be alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Well, the way to understand that correctly is to think about the fact that the resurrection is the most important event as Paul looked forward, and that's the way every generation in the church is to think. This is not something that failed to come to pass, but rather this just shows that the Word of God is applicable to us regardless of what generation we're a part of. So as we go back to Revelation chapter 2, I want you to think of it that way, that this is addressing us today. Verse 1 through 5, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now here, the Lord himself commends the church at Ephesus, in many ways. If you read through this and count, in these few verses, there are nine 
positive things that the Lord says about the church at Ephesus. Uh, we would feel in good condition, wouldn't we, if the Lord was to say that of us. If in, I haven't counted the sentences, I believe this is just, uh, let's see, verses 1 through 3 is one sentence. And in that one sentence, he states these nine good things about the church at Ephesus. And there are some very good and important qualities. Notice this, he talks about their labor, their patience. They don't, they can't, they don't tolerate those that are uh, claimed to be apostles and are not. You've borne, you've, for my namesake, labored, and you haven't fainted. Those are some very good qualities. But in spite of all of that, he says in verse 4, nevertheless. Now that word nevertheless means in spite of what I just said. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now that should cause fear in our minds if God has something against us. You know, in our natural life, if you had a strict father and he came to you and said, Son, I have somewhat against you, that would make you know that you're in trouble. Well, the Lord is telling the church, I have somewhat against thee. Now that word, Somewhat is here a supplied word by the translators. That doesn't mean they're adding to God's word. But it just simply means they're uh, attempting to make this clearer in the way that it would be expressed in English. You know, when, when they're going from Greek to English, there are many considerations that I don't know anything about. But Brother Chris probably does. But nonetheless, if you'll notice uh, in your Bible, the word somewhat there is in italics. That shows you how honest the King James translators were. This is a supplied word. And the idea there is that when you say somewhat, it means I can't quite put my finger on it. Now that's not to say that the Lord doesn't really know what's going on. But let's say when when your wife cooks something or makes some soup or some chili and you taste it, she wants you to see how it tastes and you say, well, something's not quite right. In other words, something needs to be added, but you're not sure what it is. That's the idea behind the word somewhat. And I believe there's a reason why that it's expressed that way. It's not that the Lord can't figure it out. But this is something that may go unnoticed to us. He says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now that's the primary concern with regard to this church. This church, which had been commended in many ways by the Lord, he now says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Lord willing, in due time, we'll try to explain what that means. But here's what got my attention. This church had so many good qualities... 
But the Lord identifies this one problem, and He says in verse 5, Remember from whence thou art fallen. So whatever it means by first love, it's something they have fallen away from. There's an expression in the book of Galatians where Paul speaks to the church there and says they have fallen from grace. Now that doesn't mean that they were saved by grace and now they're not saved anymore. If that were the case, salvation wouldn't be by grace. What he's teaching there is you once embraced and believed salvation by grace, but now these Jews have persuaded you to go back under the law. You've fallen away from the truth of grace. That's the idea here. There was something commendable about you that you've fallen away from. And as we learn more about this, it's not something that happened overnight. You know, in Hebrews 2, it talks about we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have learned, lest at any time we should let them slip. And the word slip there is not like slipping down on ice. It means to slowly drift. I've used this example, and Brother Chris has used it as well. When you go to the beach, the waves are not exactly parallel to the beach. They're at a slight angle. So if you put your towel down on the sand and you go out in the water and lay on your float and relax and look up a few minutes later without realizing it, you've drifted way down the beach. That's the idea in the Bible. It's when you're moving, but you don't realize it. And that's going to be a component of what Jesus means when he says, you have left your first love. But notice this. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else. Now we use that expression a lot. Or else. Do what I say, or else. That's what the Lord's saying. He's saying, or else I will come unto thee quickly. That doesn't mean in the immediate future. But when he does come, it may transpire quickly. That's how he speaks of the second coming in this particular book. You know, the Lord says, I come quickly. That doesn't mean he's coming tomorrow. He may, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily coming tomorrow. It means it'll be a sudden intrusion when the Lord comes. But the Lord says, if you don't repent, I'm going to come quickly. And notice this. And will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, to really understand and appreciate the issue here, we need to remind ourselves of what this candlestick represents. And we need to also remind ourselves of what the seven stars in verse 1 represent. And there in verse 1, both the candlestick and the seven stars are referenced. Now the seven stars are the angels of the churches. I believe by that, since angels means messenger, I believe he's referring to the overseer or the pastor. He's the primary messenger. He is God's instrument through which God's word is communicated to the church. 
And then those seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Now, what does that mean? While we could gather together here anytime, that doesn't mean that the candlestick is here. The candlestick does one thing. It provides light. And if you're in complete darkness, you will really appreciate a candlestick. I remember watching a movie one time, and a man was in a cave, and uh, the entrance collapsed. And I've always thought how terrible that would be, to be in complete darkness and thinking there's no way out. But he just happened to have something that he could ignite, uh, make, make a little uh, fire with, and he was able to see how to get out of the cave. If you're in complete darkness, you'll appreciate <laughs> A candlestick. Well, notice the, the uh, picture here in verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. In other words, if God lets the preacher go, the preacher is helpless. Now we know there's a sense, according to John chapter 10, that None of us can fall out of the hand of God as far as our salvation is concerned. Jesus says, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. But here he's talking about God's providential blessings. He says, I hold the seven stars. Brother Buddy's not important. Brother Chris is not important. It's the fact that the Lord holds us. And if he lets us go, we can't do anything in terms of our work in preaching the gospel. But notice this, he says, Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. You see, Jesus mingles among us. And if he's not dwelling in our midst, the candlesticks will not hold a flame. They'll go out. So you see the idea here? That when the Lord dwells among us in the person of the Holy Spirit, we have light. We have revelation. We have his word preached to us. So notice what he says, verse 5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Okay, what is the problem? The problem is, in the words of Jesus, they have left their first love. They haven't left the doctrine. They haven't left the practice. They haven't forsaken the assembling of themselves together. They haven't stopped serving one another. They haven't become unfaithful as a result of the pressure and the persecution. There's just so many things that look good. But when you understand what it means about this first love, you may feel condemned like I do. Amen. 
that means you have left that personal, warm fellowship and communion with the Lord in your private life, as you go about your business, when you meet with God's people, you want to talk about the things of God. Alabama football is not foremost on your mind. The Word of God is foremost on your mind. That's what you're thinking about. That's what you want to talk about. Brother Chris and I have often said that one of the biggest problems today among God's people is what Jesus described in the parable of the sower as the seed that is cast among thorns. And those wild thorns and weeds choke it out or crowd it out. And he likens that to the cares of this life. Not the sins in your life, but cares. All the stuff. The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches crowd out the word. Have you ever wondered why? The more conveniences we have to save time, the less time we have available. You ever wondered that? You know, my father was born in 1912, the year the Titanic sank. They had to get up and gather wood and build a fire in the stove and you know, they had to use uh, flour and whatever other ingredients they had to uh, cook biscuits, and they had to go gather eggs and cook the eggs. You know, you couldn't pick cotton all day on Pop-Tarts. That didn't last very long. You ever thought, I mean, you needed a big breakfast if you were going to pick cotton all day. It was a big deal. Well, now we're convenienced to death, aren't we? You can now open what I do, an instant oatmeal package and put it in the microwave and in less than a minute I can eat breakfast. So why don't I have all this available time? They did that to save time. Oh, your smartphone will save time. You can pay your bills online. Any of you, did any of you notice that when you got a smartphone, you just had all this available time all of a sudden? I didn't. You know what happens? Satan's got us on a treadmill. The more time you save, the more other things you'll add to your schedule. Some people say, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have time to call them this morning, but I can call them on the way to work. You see, you just, you take up time that was otherwise available for praying on the way to work. Now you're making phone calls on the way to work, and that just adds more stress too, doesn't it? Now that problem's easy to identify. It may not be easy to correct. But it is easy to identify. Well, I believe the problem here at the church at Ephesus is probably right up there with that problem. But this is solely spiritual and often unnoticed. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message.
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.